Welcome to the D-Hub Popcast. I'm Leland Steele. I'm Moby. I'm Randy. Randy. <laughs> <laughs> well, yes, listener, we do have another guest today, uh, following in the footsteps of the inimitable Shannon Perola. Uh, we've got Randy Green, a uh, good friend of mine. Uh, very interesting dude. We affectionately, I think I mentioned this, we affectionately refer to you as Super Geek, given your past. Wow. Just uh, that will be incorporated in the art for the episode. There's a little thumbnail I've gotten. <laughs> so, yeah, we're, we're happy to have you, Randy. Uh, pick your brain. Have you talked two of your favorite things, Twilight Imperium 4 and Star Wars? Yeah, they are. Yep. So, um, yeah, so we'll get into things with Randy a little bit later. Uh, just really want to dig into your past history, uh, helping design board games and being focused on mechanics. But... Um, how, how things work here is we kind of start with a banter segment where we just bring up random pop culture stuff. So, um, did you bring anything? Did you have anything in mind you want to just throw out there? Well, I'd maybe talk a little bit about Red Dead Redemption. Okay. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. uh, Well, so you don't want to lead. I have three things. Okay. How about you? Okay. Okay. First, first thing I want to bitch about dying light. Um, you may be familiar <laughs> with it, listener. Uh, it's a 2015 game, zombie survival game. Basically, the premise of it is um, it's like a parkour first-person action zombie survival game. And I don't know if I hate or love this game. I'm playing on hard difficulty, as I usually do. Of course. It's very, very difficult. Um, super unforgiving. When you... You like gain experience and you level up. There's like RPG elements to it, right? And every time you die, you lose experience. So for the first few levels, I was having a bitch of a time leveling up. Um, But now I'm like level 13 or something. And I'm pretty OP, um, pretty badass. But the game, if you play stupidly, you get punished. Oh, my goodness. (laughs) Like... um, Basically, you. what I want to be able to do is walk into a horde of zombies and just mow them down with my machete. But that doesn't work that way. <laughs> it doesn't work that way. And um, on hard difficulty, the enemies are really difficult to kill. Like, they take a lot of, like, at the beginning, it was taking, like, a dozen headshots with, like, wow. a lead pipe to take one zombie down. And then by then, your, your weapon's broken and you have to repair it which you hopefully maybe have found the metal scraps to do so by then. But um, I don't know. I think I like it. I found a bow. I got some guns now. The bow is really awesome for silent kills and stuff. And as long as you're nailing the headshots, it's all good. But there was one mission that I did um, that, oh, it was so dumb. It was it was so stereotypical. It was, you know, you get captured and then you're thrown into a, like a fighting pit full of the zombies, right? So the game takes away from you all these upgraded and souped up weapons that you've been making and, uh, you know, no med kits and you, you know, you have your skills, I guess, that you've, you've leveled up, but it takes all your stuff away. And I came out, I earned negative 9,000 experience (laughs) from that mission (laughs) because I was about, I was about halfway, no, I had about 15,000 ish experience, um, I lost it all of it because, you know, once you hit, thankfully, you don't dip levels. So you're going to hit a zero experience on the bottom of whatever level you're at. And then I gained 15,000 from completing the mission. 
But the second part of the mission is you have to escape the compound, and I died uh, three times trying to get up. Wow. <laughs> so... <laughs> Wow! Don't yeah, try to yeah, yeah. and it's like one of those like um, you know the chases where you're you're basically running through a bunch of enemies that are shooting at you and throwing grenades at you. So you actually can't even fight or use any amount of skill with the gameplay mechanics. Like uh, it was so frustrating, so frustrating. So I don't know if I love or hate this game. It's it's like it's like a garbage fire sometimes, but then. The fire burns out and you find those treasures buried in the garbage. It's so weird. You do realize this is a reoccurring theme of how you approach media in general, Leland. Uh, like, I've heard this from you before. Yeah. I hate it. No, but it's just so endearing. But, <laughs> but Okay, I okay. But I, it. okay, generally, yes. My feelings of hatred are, they peak higher than the good stuff generally. But actually, I just finished watching um, Haunting of Hill House. It was really good, except the ending sucked. Oh. The ending really soured me. It was like a complete tonal shift for the entire series. And I really wanted to get into this because people were, people were saying that it was so scary, like they were throwing up watching it. Like, wow. Okay. Hey, it ain't that fucking scary. I heard the same thing. It's not as good. I was afraid to even push play because okay. I thought I was going to throw up. So, <laughs> so you, you've seen it? No, because I, was, okay. I heard that it was scary. I will, I will entirely recommend. Okay, I only watched this after, under the cover of Darkness. With all the lights off, because I wanted to get into it. I wanted it to scare me. You went full Leland. I went full Leland, and I'm full immersion here. And it's um, it was it's really creepy in some parts. And there was one one part that made me yell out because <laughs> it scared me. <laughs> like it was it was like jump scare, but it was like a good jump scare. It was like near the end of the series too. They hadn't even given you any a jump. You know, they've been they were way more subtle with with the creep factor. That so ah, it was really it was a good series, but the ending soured on. And that wasn't even part of my three banters. So. Oh, wow. I was like, oh, we got through the second one quickly. <laughs> wow, that was just for the moment banter. Okay, Moby, why don't you go and I'll, I'll maybe finish off. Mine is, is short and sweet, but it just warmed my heart. So I was surprised and horrified today to see on my entertainment feed that Top Gun 2 has been delayed. They don't know how long. Oh my. But the reason why it's been delayed is because Tom Cruise has decided he wants to be the first ever actor to fly his own fighter jet. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> it's specifically yeah. being delayed so he can undergo he can like, Air Force training to fly his own jet for Top Gun 2. Oh, wow. Wow. <laughs> And I'm not surprised at the same time. No, and the funny part That's is so the, the funny so part true. is like the comment sections on Latino Review, which is where it came up. Um, everyone's like, you know what? It's like the scariest. The, the person who is most scared in the world right now is the insurance firm for Tom Cruise. <laughs> <laughs> Just like, like basically the amount of insurance and like the underwriting that'll have to be done for this A-list actor to fly his own jet for a movie. Mighty, he's done. He's done scarier shit than that. Like his orbital jumps, halo jumps that he did for the most recent Mission Impossible. He did a hundred jumps Whoa. to film that, and so that's got to be more okay. risky than even a jet. That's some of the stunts in the Dubai for Ghost Protocol, I think it was. Yeah, Ghost yeah. Protocol. That was pretty legit. Scary yeah, thing, yeah. So. You know, they'll put him in a, in a plane that's got an AI. It's it's going to be a Google plane. It'll be, <laughs> it'll be flying itself. It's he's going to think he's doing it, but. He's going to be fine. He's going to be fine. It's going to be uh, like a fine print in the end of that insurance policy. That that must be an a, a remote-controlled jet or something. Like that. That, uh, that brings up a funny anecdote that 
Um, so I was at my girlfriend's house and she has a Google like speaker thing that you talk to. And I was insulting it and it was really creepy was saying back. I was like, Google, I hate you. And she's like, she, the Google's like, why do you hate me? I try so hard to please you. <laughs> I was like, this thing is going to fire you. This thing. Well, is of, of course, because they, it, they, when they make those things, they know people are going to be dicks like you, <laughs> and they give them re- responses where they can throw shit right back at you. I know. Well, it promised to learn more for me as well. It said, "I will, I will endeavor to learn more." To um, make you. I have one. I use it in my office. Oh yeah. So when I head into my office, I usually get to play music or something. That's Tell awesome. The That's cool. So it's a Google specific. What's it? Does it's it have a, a name, or is it like a Google it's a, Home? I think Google Home. Oh, okay. That's that just Google it. Home. And mine's a mini. So it's the small disc one. Oh, okay. It works amazing. That's cool. It'll, like, look shit up for you, though. You can, like, say, like, I want to know about the history of, like, cheese. And it'll be, it'll just start telling you. Like, it'll make up what to tell you. And it makes sense. It, I don't know. A part of my job is I do some public speaking. And one time I was speaking to a bunch of young people. And so I brought the Google Home with me. And a part of my message in talking with the kids was I would talk with Google Home and we'd have a conversation back and forth. Oh, wow. Because it is amazing what it can look up and how fast it responds. So It is. It really. sounds a lot smarter than I do, that's for sure. <laughs> really cool. <laughs> so, yeah, Tom Cruise, get a Google Home to be your wingman in uh, Top Gun 2. So that's that's all I got. So do you want to go back to one of your 50 banters? Uh, well, my, la- my last two are real quick. I could, I could, I'll finish it. I want Randy. Okay. One. Yeah, yeah, I've actually got I, one that I just thought of. Oh, sweet! Just tilted me big time. Uh, so BlizzCon just happened last week, I believe. Um, right. And one of the big announcements for BlizzCon, people were expecting Diablo Four or some news about some new Diablo project. Hmm. And as a Blizzard fanboy, uh, I was kind of glued to my computer to you know, hopes to hear some good news. Well, they decided to come up with a Diablo Immortal, it's called, which is a mobile game. And the outcry uh, that took place, I think it was the first BlizzCon where there was actually people booing in large droves. (laughs) And so the developers were actually quite, like, taken back by it, had no idea what to do. You could see their... Up on yeah. stage, going, "What is going on?" Oh and man! There was this banter, and then one of the first questions that we a- was asked after they announced it, there was a Q and A time, and uh, one of the well-known Twitch streamers who asked the question said, "So is this a- an April Fool's joke of some kind?" Oh! And right there, it was like <laughs> silent, <laughs> and uh, yeah. So, and the big outcry, I think, uh, during BlizzCon, they saved the best for last. So the opening ceremonies, every game kind of gets its own pitch, its own time. And they save Diablo for the end. So a lot of gamers thought, oh, this is going to be amazing, everything we want. Well, Diablo is a very PC-minded community. Yeah. Um, And, you know, they've kind of gone over to console. There's been some debate well, about they need to diversify yeah. their market yeah but sure. people did not want a mobile game no so oh, yeah and yeah. i think you know looking at diablo because there's this activision uh kind of partnership that's happening and a lot of people are wondering if blizzard's going to be run by activision and what that direction wow. would look like wow. and so you know i think the identity of what blizzard once was this mom and pop shop that listened to their fan base is kind of losing its steam so yeah. there's a lot of questions about that but i remember actually throwing something across my office because i was just so frustrated with a mobile game you know you know what though like as a marketing guy i don't know how that got past the gate 
Like, um, because mobile games are getting ginormous and they're the new trend, but like, they're, this is not the place to employ that's that That's what I'm referring to, though. That's what I'm referring to, is the marketing people should have understood the history of BlizzCon, how information's dropped, what expectations there are, and that's the wrong place to do yeah, it. Yeah, and I think from a marketing perspective leading up to BlizzCon, they were... Uh, putting Hyping out small, out well, they're putting out small tidbits. It's not going to be Diablo uh, 4. Like they're lowering expectations, oh, but I think the expectations were still past a mobile game. Yeah. Uh, but <laughs> I look at Hearthstone for Blizzard, which is making buttloads <laughs> of money. I mean, the amount of people that are playing it is ridiculous, and so it's probably going to gain a lot of money and a lot of traction for people that don't play Diablo. You know, mm-hmm. very intentionally, but at the same time, you've isolated a player base like myself who, you know. Every once in a while, I might log on to play a seasonal character, but now I just I've kind of gave up on that. So mm. interesting. Yeah. That's interesting. Good banter. Yikes! And then Red Dead. Yeah, how's oh, Red yes. Dead? So this isn't really a banter, besides the fact that I wish I had a lot more time to play the game, because mm. <laughs> um, the game is just phenomenal. It looks amazing. They put so much detail into it. The story is great. You actually go through a little scenario at the beginning. I won't do too many spoilers, but before you get to the open world concept, and even that, just to give a little bit of plot and storyline and backstory, I think it was amazing. Yeah. Uh, the cinematics in it are fantastic. So, Yeah, I think that's um, I think that's a really good thing when open world games give you this kind of smaller focus to start you off. Um, I recall one of my favorite open world games, Zelda Breath of the Wild, they start you on a place called the Great Plateau that's very insulated, yet it's got little tidbits, teaches you everything you need to do to engage the open world. And you're kind of, it's seeming like that's yeah. what the beginning of Red Dead does. Yeah, for sure. So, And a couple of the quests are, you know, learning how to hunt and kind of gather supplies and getting some weapons. Cool. So it's kind of building yeah. you up to this epic journey. And a lot of people that I've heard play it, I have a lot of friends that are streaming it, and they're saying how they put 50 plus hours into it and there's still so much to explore. So I just wish there was more time. I wish I had more time. I yeah. didn't have a family and a job. And family, job, all those little Dang things. Dang it. <laughs> it looks amazing. Man, oh man. Yeah, well, that's, uh, I have no family. I do have a job. But I, yeah. that's, I, I also, no time restriction is uh, one of the reasons I have not printed up yet. Yeah, I don't know. Just crazy. You, sorry, just a tidbit. Is it available for the Switch? Or do you know if it's going to be Switch ported? Don't know. Okay. I'm pretty it sure it's Xbox and PS4. Four. I don't think the Switch would have the uh, gusto to be able to handle That's a good question. Yeah. I'll look it up. I I'll mean, look it up. looks beautiful, so that might be a factor. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Nintendo. <laughs> wah, wah. <laughs> Story of their life. All right, Leland. All right. Okay, last two things. Quick Gilmore things. Girls. Okay, so on the topic of uh, Fantasy Flight Games... With our TA4 review, overview, whatever the hell we're doing, really. Um, I just want to talk about uh, the latest card game from MFG, Keyforge, Call of the Archons. Um, are you familiar with that, Randy? I am. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it seems really cool. So it's uh, by Richard Garfield. Oh. Yep. And um, it's, it's, in their, it's in their brand new line of what they're calling unique games. Specifically, this is a unique deck game. So... Unlike any CCG or LCG, there is no, there's no deck building. There's no singleton, you know, market. There's, you, you are buying a unique deck. So every deck you get is like procedurally generated. So every deck you acquire is different from any other deck that you could ever get. 
Interesting. That's like uh, the back art, the art on the back of the cards, uh, the deck names, the deck composition, all randomly generated. Wow. Yeah, it seems really cool. Um, I'm interested in playing. I'll get some and we'll play it. It's a yeah. two two player game, I think only. And um, basically, the game plays. There's like seven different like factions, and each deck is comp- uh, compromised of like a, a mix of three of those seven in varying. You know, varying levels, maybe they slight, uh, slight towards one of the factions of the three or whatever. And like, none of the cards have costs, like, like mana costs, like you would in Magic the Gathering. But basically, on your turn, you choose which faction's cards you want to take advantage of, and then those are the cards you can play um. or activate, I believe, on the battlefield. Seems really cool. But the funny thing about what's happened um, recently is the 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 names. An oversight at FFG, some of the randomly uh, generated names um, that they've put into print and are now shipping to pre-orders and stuff are what they deem offensive. Interesting. So there, there's like a big recall on some of them. So so launching with, with the game, they, they've launched a companion app where you can input your deck name and basically um, you know keep track of it and like the greater meta of how these different decks are doing so basically you you input and you're registering your deck so you input and you register it and if you get a message saying oh this is one of our flagged you know bad bad decks then effigy you'll, you'll just send it back to effigy and then they'll send you two new decks but like people are like hoping like oh man i really want some dick joke yeah. deck names do you have any examples? Of well, that? yes, I have found some people have started receiving it because this is a brand new game just released uh, like this week, I think. I've oh, just a couple I saw. Um, where did I? Oh yeah, like General Bone Rider Colt was a funny one, <laughs> and then the uh, other one, um, Titan Flare, the Farmer of Racism, like oh, wow. <laughs> like decks like that. Like <laughs> okay, here's here's a prediction. Here's a prediction. Um, Fantasy Flight is not going to get nearly as many returns. Oh, hell no. Hell People no. are going to hold... Those things are going to be worth like 10k in a, a few decades sure, if sure. the game takes off. Yeah, I just thought uh, it's so, really funny. So I have about 10 games of Keyforge under my belt. Oh, yeah. Uh, so they did a pre... Like a launch or a demo. Demos at Gen Con. Yeah. Which we'll get into later and talk about. But uh, the lineup to play it was pretty long. Uh, and it was a bit unique... Just because in ten games I've never I haven't seen the same deck, so right, right. even that concept, the replayability of it, I think is really not. Nice. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But uh, yeah, so like you you get um, like your starter pack basically that you can get. It comes with two starter decks, which are the only decks that are going to be the same throughout every package, and then two of the unique decks. So you use the starters to get down the gameplay. It's, they're like learning decks, right? Yeah, no, it sounds cool. Um, really cool. But just funny. <laughs> that is funny. Farmer of racism. Yeah. I just, whose oversight was it where the word itself, racism, was in the batch of <laughs> random words to be assigning? Go to FFG. Yeah, that's weird. Yeah, there's really no foresight there, obviously, right? Like, that's funny. Uh, General Bone Rider. <laughs> bone Rider. <laughs> but, like, some of them are like, I've seen some other ones, more funny ones were like, you know, like, like, service the uh, digging digger up of porridge or like like it's just like literally just the weirdest shit and you know what's so funny oh, so about that good. is that uh you're gonna get some really really funny ones but you're gonna get a bunch of dumb ones mm-hmm. so i don't know i think i would have maybe had a screening process and be like you know what this random one is kind of meh that's uh because i'd be pretty disappointed if i got a 
weird, like a, a nonsensical deck name that wasn't funny. It was just like, oh, okay. I, mean, I probably wouldn't want to play that deck. <laughs> <laughs> That's hilarious. Oh, man. That's um, hilarious. Yeah, actually, that you, this unique games thing is really interesting. There's a... Um, What's, uh, what's the other one? It's a full board game. I forget its name. Um, but um, like it's a full board game that is going to be unique. And, wow. Yeah, so I'm not sure how unique they are. Like When you're playing these 10 decks, how unique are these decks? Yeah, I mean, it does change the gameplay quite a bit too. Yeah. Um, so for, like mechanically, it's the same, but the flavor of it is different. Totally different. The speed yeah. of the game. And, so it does affect... I. Yeah, I quite enjoyed it. I I didn't know about the silly names though. We didn't see any of those. So oh, no. now that I'm thinking about it, I would probably purchase more sets just so that I could get these weird names just and have see them. The names. Right? Yeah, like yeah, yeah. I wouldn't yeah. want to send them in. I would just want to keep them. Totally, like, oh, totally. for sure. <laughs> Man, I got the boner deck. <laughs> like, the, <laughs> how funny would that boner be? Boner deck, so. <laughs> bone rider, oh, bone giver. And now, okay, my last one on the top of card games: um, Magic the Gathering. Ooh. So um, the day after this drops, November 16th, they're actually releasing uh, what they're calling a, a game night. And it's basically like this starter kit. It comes with five pre-assembled decks, uh, one of each color. Oh, cool. And you just open it up. It comes with, you know, counters and some tokens, some some uh, life total dies. You just open it up, get five, you know, two to five people together, and you can just get magic to the table. It's re- It seems really cool. Like, it's basically like throwing a board game on the table. Mm, that's awesome. Yeah, I think it's, it's a really great idea. More than awesome. You kind of wonder where that idea has been for 28 years. Totally. And you know what I love about it is, like, it's more geared towards multiplayer, which yes. I, I love multiplayer yes. magic. Um, I think, too, a big thing that Wizards of the Coast is trying to do is accessibility. Yeah. And I see that uh, they have a beta Magic Arena. Yeah, yeah. And it is, I'm hooked on it. I mean, cool. if I've got a little bit of extra time. Just yeah. to log on. And what's cool about it is uh, when you open up packs, which you can win in the game, you get these cards that are common, uncommon, rare, and mythic. Yeah. Right. And they're just red cards, gold cards, but you can trade those in for cards that you want for specific decks. Oh, so like you're that. actually getting to the good stuff without spending a lot of money. Or time. So, yeah, or time. Yeah. So that accessibility button, I think, is huge for that's Magic good. And that's such a fine balance when you employ things like that. Like, it's yeah. really hard to get right. It's really hard not to alienate somebody. Um, I've heard good things about the it. The AI is amazing too. Is it? It's really that's cool. A lot better than Magic Online, which is kind yeah, of yeah. That's well, th- those are of course the comparisons everyone's yeah. making, right? And they're saying it's it's like a wonderful, wonderful over, overhaul of the whole of the whole thing. Like yeah. you you you'll recognize parts of it. Yeah, but. yeah. I was actually playing it online yesterday with non-listener Joe. <laughs> so we were doing some multiplayer. Um, I don't think it was Arena though. Is that available on Steam? You know, or I I don't know. I, th- I'll, I think I'll it would be, but it. if you go to Magic the Gathering Arena, okay, there's a beta download. It's open beta, so okay, yeah, yeah, Interesting. yeah. I don't know. I think uh, I think it's this game night is is cool. It is, yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I, I really like something. the idea that like counters are something that's been there forever, but you've always had to wing it with coins or dice sure, or whatever, sure. and it actually gives you some counters. I would have bought them. And the other thing I like is that it has one deck of each color. Yeah, which, you know, employ the typical archetypes of those specific colors, you know, um, like I was watching um, The Command Zone. Right, because... Which is a YouTube channel that they they specifically, they focus on uh, the, like, the commander format. But um, their videos are really great, great, um, great quality, and they 
you know, they had a, a video of, you know, four of them getting together and playing through, which is where I saw it. And, um, you know, I'm going to put the, I'll put the link to the YouTube channel in, in our show notes. Yeah, I'd like to see it. Um, I'd like to see how it plays. Uh, are the decks quite simple, you know, like with the cards? Or uh, yeah, it seems so. But actually, it's uh, another cool thing is they come, basically, it comes with like these little cards that have a bunch of stats, like, you know, um, uh, creatures versus spells versus complexity. So it's got, it's basically, you know, like a line graph of, you take oh here's the here's the red deck oh okay well it's clearly going to be um, spell heavy as would uh, you know a burn deck right and of course the green is going to be more creature heavy um, the black is where is the most complex of the five you know the, the, so it's, I don't know it's really cool it looks really cool cool I just you know have nobody that I would be able to play like grab it and play like who would I I have nobody that I would be introducing it to because I think that would be it's a perfect introductory thing, right? Um, like you, like you said, Randy, accessibility. Honestly, like honestly, I think we could swing it. You get Crip, uh, my brother, and uh, Marty. Um, if yeah, Marty actually, still wants to hang yeah. out with us, because the MSRP is like thirty nine ninety nine. Like okay. you get five pre constructed sixty card decks. Yeah, that's, that's insane. That's really good that's value. Really good. That's really good value. All right, that's it. I'm done. Banter right. over. <laughs> Banter over. You know what? I think maybe we should start employing extended banter because we don't get to do this as much. We're down to once a month now instead of bi-weekly. I like the banter. I All miss right. the well, banter. We'll, we'll, have more, we'll, we'll have more banter. We'll have more banter. We'll have less banter. We'll have more, more and less, less banter. banter. <laughs> All right. Well, let's move into our first segment. Crazy about cardboard. Uh, which we're going to be, well, we're going to be asking and inquiring about Randy's background in the board game industry and even just as a consumer like the rest of us and we will be talking about twilight imperium fourth edition from ffg what do you want what do you want to leave with what are we leaving with uh, i want to you know what we were like maybe half an hour into the show i want to just lead in kind of with a little bit of background on randy's uh background with board games because it's pretty cool so why don't you give us kind of a, a little bit of a bio about when you started in your experiences yeah sounds good <laughs> so i think i was actually 12 years old uh, my dad had a card store. Ooh, going way back. Way back. <laughs> um, and it was in Chilliwack called Impact Cards. And we had never heard about Magic the Gathering. Mm. But we heard that there was a big fan base. And so my dad had asked me, can you learn this game so we can sell it in store? And then on weekends, I could stay in the store and play with kids that would come in. And, but what I realized really quickly, or we realized, is it wasn't really kids that were playing it. It was grown adults. Mm. So I'm 12 years old playing in tournaments with 35-year-olds. Right. And uh, people didn't really like getting beat by a 12-year-old kid. <laughs> <laughs> and then we found out about the Watsi Game Center in Seattle, which had regularly hosted PTQs. And so, a yeah. PTQ is? A Pro Tour Qualifier. Okay. And big tournaments of that nature. So we started to travel down. So we had qualifiers in Chilliwack and in Vancouver. And I had the opportunity of playing some of those and won those. And so cool. we'd go down to Watsi Game Center. So I was about 14 years old. And me and my buddy Josh Powell would play. And so that kind of opened up my world to gaming uh, through Magic the Gathering. And then through that, there was a game called with Mythical Samurai called Legends of the Five Rings. Mm, and yep, yep. so I connected with that game. Um, there was a bit more strategic than uh, Magic the Gathering. And so that was uh, the CCG at It was the time. a CCG. And Recently reintroduced by Fantasy Games yeah. as a living card game instead of a collectible card game. Yeah. And... Uh, so if there's cardboard and it's some kind of card, flipping cardboard is my 
I think that's what I love the most. So if a game has cards in it like Keyforge, I'm going to be interested in it and at least check it out. So through Magic the Gathering, uh, I got invited to play in a couple of uh, Cotes. And what I mean by invited is people would drive down to California and places on the East Coast. I'd travel with them. And uh, we'd go play in these tournaments. And what ended up happening is uh, I won a few of those big tournaments. And so I got invited to other tournaments and it kind of led to other things which led to gen con and at gen con it's kind of the collective nucleus of all these card games being played and there's world championships and north american championships so made a regular attendance there and played and through that won some really big tournaments and so aeg that's alderac entertainment group at that time brian reese was the lead designer of legends of the five rings um after a tournament that i did really well at he asked hey would you be a dynasty member and what dynasty was is it's a team of really good players from different card games and so they had their own form where they talked about different deck ideas and these weren't like the online decks that you see in your net deck but the well thought out meta decks where they're kind of shaping the meta because the people that are in this team are the meta right and so that was a neat, unique opportunity. I learned a lot through them. Um, and then when I would travel, I'd go and compete against these guys and get to know them, uh, which was cool in itself. And through that, they asked me to work. So I was actually a designer for Legends of the Five Rings for a number of years. Um, so I was the mechanics guy, trying to figure out how the interaction of the cards worked, trying to break different cards. Um, and through that, I met a bunch of designers of Magic the Gathering, so made some friends and connections in that way bunch of people from fantasy flight games um and then i cross-platformed to board games so that was um smash up was a big one um so games through alderac entertainment group would help kind of with the mechanics here's an idea i had that's not going to work because it just doesn't work those sorts of conversations um but then it came that legends of the five rings was going to be sold so that's when my job kind of ended with alderac entertainment group and l5r was sold to ffg and then a good group of friends and I, uh, the friends are in Seattle, and these are Microsoft employees, so they're big-time gamers. Um, we actually joined on to Fantasy Flight Games to help design Legends of the Five Rings, the LCG. Nice. And we just had some mechanical problems with it. There's a mechanic in the game called Fate, where you put Fate tokens on and your people die as a mechanic in the game yeah. that we didn't really connect with. So, mm. um, But through all that... So you got canned. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, just, <laughs> really for real like like basically that led to a falling out was... well no we just said mechanically is there any way we can change these mechanics at the core of the game and they said no like oh. these are the core of the game so we were so, was, so we was said that we, specific for lack of a better term fate system yep. like tied to the rpg elements and that's what they were drawing from like is that where so why for, they were so steadfast on it yeah, I'm not sure. But oh, okay. So in the game, uh, which is very unique than other games, is you have two decks. You have a dynasty yeah. deck and a fate deck. Yeah. And the fate deck is your hand. Okay. Well, they changed that and put fate as in tokens. And oh. I know fate in the game does have premise in that RPG. Yeah, so yeah, there's yeah. probably elements to that sure, for sure. sure. Okay. But I'm not too much of a storyline guy. When I play games, uh, yeah, I yeah, just yeah. try to you're win. Thinking you're, you're thinking That's, of the boil down terms. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, I do not care about... And I... If there's plot points yeah. or... I can certainly attribute to that, listen. Every time I play games with you, you kick our ass so bad. <laughs> well, I'm very much an A to B gamer, so... Yeah. Um, and that, yeah, I just enjoy the competition of it. Sure. I just think that's the fun part of it, so... Yeah. Uh, my family, I married a 
wife, my wife's family loves board games. Nice. We do not play many board games anymore because I think they've just gotten to the point where they're tired of playing. So yeah, yeah, yeah. there's an area where maybe I should tone it back a little bit, but yeah. I just don't know how. That's <laughs> totally right. I mean, yeah. that's I mean that's the same. Well, okay, one, I never win games, so I'm not claiming that I tone it back when I'm introducing people to games because I suck at them. <laughs> but you're very good at sacrificially teaching people the game to your own detriment. Uh, yeah, that's true. I mean, there was an even instance in one of our Twilight uh, TI4 games that I did do that. Um, I guess we can get to that when yeah. we're talking about the game specifically. But yeah, that's a tough thing to real meter for yourself, right? Like, yeah. yeah. I also, uh, to back up a little bit about board games. So in college, I met a group of people that loved Settlers of Catan. Yeah. And so I think we played that probably every week for a number of years, um, maybe a couple times a week. Yeah. Um, and that I call a gateway game. It's mm-hmm. kind of, mm-hmm. yeah. And so from that, I just loved board games. And I found a group in Abbotsford. They meet every Tuesday night still. So it's probably been 20 years now. Yeah. And we play a number of different board games. And through that, uh, when I go to Gen Con, I play in a couple of tournaments of board game style. And one of those games is Twilight Imperium. So we yeah. pick that up. Crazy. And that and Chaos of the Old World. Um, yeah, which we saw the play. Oh, those are my two favorite games of all you time. You cannot so. get a copy of Chaos in the Old World anymore. You yeah. just can't find it. Wow. Yeah. But it is good. Yeah. Mechanically is good. And I don't like RNG in games. Yeah. You know, I'm very much a chess player. I want everything to be you're making moves and you can analyze data and those sorts yeah. of things. So, yeah. and the cool thing about um, Chaos of the World, World and Twilight Imperium is there is some RNG, but there is also a lot of thought. Sure, there's so much mitigation, right? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. I, I I like that when a game nails the where where the level of complexity comes from the uh, amount of mitigation that you as a player can or cannot employ. I really like that. I really like that in a game. Cool. Um, One little anecdote I have to ask you about uh, is Will Wheaton in Smash Up. Now, you can correct me if I'm wrong about the story, but there's two parts of the story I remember that you told me when I first met you. One is I believe you helped convince getting him in the game, getting him as a card. And number two, I know you taught him to play football. Well, okay. So those are pretty close to the story. Um, At Gen Con, he... Mm -hmm had a YouTube channel about tabletop games. Yeah. And so he tabletop. Tabletop. <laughs> and he was there promoting pro, promoting that. Yeah. Well one thing that my group of friends do when we go to Gen Con is we bring a football around and we throw it in the halls and in the convention center. And we really stand out because a lot of the gamers that are there Sure, they're not there to play yeah, football. They're not there they're to play there football. For a catch. Yeah. <laughs> right. So yeah, it just keeps us because there's a lot of walking at Gen Con. The conference center is really big. Well, while we were doing that, um, Will Wheaton was walking by. And so randomly, I think it was my buddy Kyle just tossed him the football. <laughs> and right away, you know, you judge people when they go up and try and catch a ball. Well, uh, we judged him a little bit. Um, but he was a super <laughs> chill guy. And so, yeah, it was, you know, whether he had played before or not, we're trying to give him tips. and Hey, do this and that. But he was pretty humble and nice guy. And, you know, mocked himself a bit, which was cool. Yeah, so yeah. it kind of opened up this segue of conversation. And he started asking about us. So, yeah, we talked about Smash Up and that. Well, just as that was happening, one of the AEG guys come by. And so there's kind of a big powwow and we're talking. And one thing led to another. And sure enough, with Smash Up and Will Wheaton. So, 
That's cool. That's cool. Do you recall uh, when in the tabletop career that was about? Because I know they, they kickstarted their third season, right? Was yeah. that around like the like season two? I think I don't know what season it was that they actually played Smash Up. Uh, and I think it was actually season it was at the beginning. Okay, okay. So very early. Yeah. I think it took a little while before that took place. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Cool. Cool anecdote. Um do you have any other, just before we move on to Twilight Imperium, any kind of cool little stories like that? Uh, famous people in the industry you might have met or designers? Um, yeah, I mean, I've met a lot of the designers in games. Um, just because at Gen Con, it's pretty much an open community. So one person in particular, I have a good friend named Andrew. Uh, his wife is Marika. Our team name is Team Marika House. We're named after her. But she is a world-renowned painter. She's actually um, the Game of Thrones painter for Martin himself. So she actually knows what's going to happen, but she's not allowed to tell us. Because she's painted it. Yeah, because she's painted (laughs) it. But everyone knows her. She's actually probably the most popular person on our team, and she doesn't play, you know, she doesn't flip cardboard and play cards at all. Yeah. Um, And so every Gen Con we go down, and we're competing against her to see who brings home the most hardware. And she beats us. I mean, there's eight of us guys and one Marika, and she'll get 10 trophies and we'll get three or four trophies. <laughs> uh, but through that, what happens is we do a thing called True Dungeon. Ah, uh, yeah. True Dungeon is one of the best things about Gen Con. Uh, it's a full live dungeon with actors and different DMs. And you go through rooms and there might be a puzzle or a monster to fight. So we do it every year. We get two runs. Well, one of the runs that we do is called the Artist and Friends Run. Uh, so we invite well-known people in the gaming community in with the run with us. And so, for instance, one of those people, Steve Argyle. Steve Argyle is a pretty famous painter for Magic the Gathering. Mm. Um, John Zinzer, who's the owner of AEG. Um, so there's been a number of different people that have come in and out. Mm. Mystic Veil developer, uh, Drew Baker, who's a pretty famous painter. Cool. And so we do True Dungeon together and get to know them, and then sometimes we go for dinner and stuff. So that's one way we're really connected with people, which is cool. And True Dungeon's awesome. Is it? So is that is that the one where so you get like the little like poker chipish things that are like representing your equipment? Yeah. And there's a secondary market for those. Oh, there's huge for the, yeah, yeah, it's insane. So it's when we insane. travel, uh, Marika actually brings a separate suitcase, yeah. and the suitcase always is over the weight limit because of all the tokens in there. It's like. <laughs> 20 years with the tokens whoa and so i'm a monk um that's the character that i usually play and i'm fully decked out i mean i have charms and rings and amis and everything so yeah. i'm when i go into battle i'm like way way over that's funny i've uh, heard that it's kind of getting a little hit or miss though lately. it is we actually had a board wipe a party wipe sorry really and, this last one, and we were livid because we had no chance around it Oh, that so, sucks. It, that, those are the frustrating ones. And it's 100 bucks a pop for right. for a person. So yeah, yeah, yeah. that part of it's kind of rough Yikes. when you're board wiping. And we're not playing on any kind of... We should be on a much higher difficulty. But uh, we're yeah. just there just to have fun. And, sure, sure. Like we have a bard who actually sings in Elvish. And wow. We, yeah, we have a good time. So. That's nuts. That's crazy. Oh, that's cool. That's, that's cool. cool. Yeah, I like it. I like it. Um... Get yeah, into well, TI4? Let's jump right okay, into I have I only have one question, one burning question for burning you. Burning question, all right. What is it like being best friends with Christian Peterson? <laughs> <laughs> for moving, that's the founder of MMG. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> so I know uh, with FFG, 
they're just taking on a lot right now. Yeah. You know, and I think... Well, I mean, shit, they're like asthma day North America, for yeah. God's sakes. They're, it's insane. Yeah. So... A growth in the last, like, five years. Yeah. It's, it's crazy. So I know a lot of the times, uh, you know, when I've seen the team and the, the number of different guys that are developing, I know the guys from Conquest as well, mm-hmm. who kind of moved over... I guess where I'm going with this is a lot of the platforms that they're putting out, and this would be my criticism even to Chris, is a lot of the platforms, uh, they're kind of sharing mechanics. So there's not a lot yeah. of diversity between mm-hmm. games. Sure, sure, sure. And the big one of that is Game of Thrones, which I played pretty competitively. Yeah. And Legend of the Five Rings, they've adopted basically a lot of the yeah. same mechanics. Yeah, yeah. And that the, would be the, card, the Game of Thrones yeah. card game. Yeah, the card game. Hmm. And so that, yeah. Now like was, I, that, was that um, mostly from the Switch to second edition for Game of Thrones? Did yeah. You, you, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And I, I think it was a good Switch. What's happening, the LCG model is to accessibility and i think sure. that's a big one in the, in the industry yeah. um games like x 18xx yeah uh there's not a lot of that i mean it's a very it's almost a cult following oh yeah it 100 is yeah yeah whereas big games like that and big companies like that they're trying to get more hey let's bring player bases in yeah but i think they're losing some of the creativity in their mechanics mm. so that would be mm. yeah well that's interesting i mean just like you 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 couldn't do that for 18xx games like that yeah. is you either are going to love them or you're going to hate them. Like, I don't think there's an in between for 18xx yeah. games. Yeah. Like what? They're so okay. An 18xx game movie. They're like they're like route laying games. They're you know like the 1800s in the in the days of the railroad systems being implemented. Right. There's like a whole myriad. Like I have 1846. It's the only 18xx game I have or have played. Um, it's supposed to be a good for introductory one, um, and I really like it. And I would love to get more of them, but like. Who am I going to play with? Play them with? <laughs> it's a steep learning curve. Yeah, it yeah. really is. It super is. Yeah. <laughs> That's All right. Funny. Cool. Ti four. So basically, we have played this. Uh, did we play it once with you or twice with you? Well, I one, played one. it one time with Randy. One, one time with Randy. Yeah. Randy kicked our ass. And so part of the question I want to ask because I'm not super competitive and I've only played this game a few times. I guess we'll dig into it in specifics, um, but I do want to know some strategy and uh, kind of pick your brain about that. So, Leland, do you have any thoughts on how we should, like, should we introduce TI4 at all? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, Twilight Imperium 4th Edition, it was like, you know, like the first game that, like, the game that, you know, first edition, like, Christian Peterson, like, put him together in his garage or whatever. So, it's like, the, it's, it's like the history of wow. FFG, I think, this game. Core. Um, and now third edition when i first got into the hobby this was third edition was like like my grail game for lack of a better term not because you couldn't get it but because it was like the one game that i always wanted to get but i was like a oh, hundred and something bucks ah, was a little so i never ended up picking up third edition which in hindsight was very smart because i you know pulled the trigger on fourth which i'm very happy with so i don't know i think TI4 will always have a special place in my heart <laughs> just because of that. My, my own personal history with with uh, this particular uh, game. But um, I don't know. So we played, I think I played this only about three times. Uh, we, I played it six players, five players, and then the game that the three of us played was a three-player game. So I think maybe get start with the differences between three and like higher counts. Um, specifically uh, with three, and I think four players, everybody chooses two of the the action card, the special, sure. the, yeah, mm-hmm. the strategy cards. So like six or eight 
of like or all eight of them are going to be played in a four-player game that seems crazy and i think it actually too with the number of players really changes which races are stronger for ah. instance the hakan really do well if somebody picks the trade card but yeah. if you're in a five-player game there's a good chance the trade doesn't get picked yeah so if you force the hakan player to pick trade they're not getting access to some other key things that they need right, right. Mm. Uh, so in normal cases in a four-player tournament setting and those are the settings that i've played uh, Hakan is near the top. Hmm. Um, but in hindsight, I think they're probably in the middle. But if you go to the more players you get, the higher and higher they get because they're getting more economy, which means that's interesting. It grows their ship, right? Ships. So that is that is kind of cool. Um, I felt in the because I think I may have played in each game that you played. Um, yeah, because I played in three. Yeah, yeah. I felt a lot more tension with a higher player count building, just like intuitive tension as your borders really kind of stack up really quickly. Yeah. And that may have had a function of us playing with a bunch of beginners that were kind of... We were all on the same level. Yeah. It's like nobody wanted to set the powder keg off to start World War Three, And also one thing that you did that I respect and is probably the only good way to win the game, you went straight for Rex. And in our first game, like, everyone really tiptoed about going to Rex. Um, yeah, well, I think what I find interesting about the combat in this game is that you just can't go all in on it. You Because if you do, you, that's so, that's, you're committing so many resources so much to resources, it that could just yeah. get wiped out in, like, six die rolls. Like, I don't know. The combat's really interesting in this game. Yeah, yeah. You guys are going to have to stop me with all the strategy because I think I could just keep going on and on. There's so <laughs> many different intricacies in the game. But with Mech Rex, the first victory point you get when you take it, yeah, if you can spare the six influence, right. is huge. Mm-hmm. Um, because it is a race, and I th- usually think in a like, five-player game, you're going to get with somebody else around six or seven victory points. And so what what is going to separate you from that six or seven that really matters? That very first one. And that very first victory point is huge. The other mm-hmm. thing about it is if you can hold it for one turn... That six influence, yeah, it gets you two command counters with the leadership strategy, right? And those two command counters are huge. Yeah, you know something that I yeah. think when you guys first played that you didn't really see a lot of is I abuse the leadership. Yeah, one, yeah. and the reason is is because if I can get four or five command counters off of that for a couple of turns, I can do so many more things, advance the board, you know, my board state and what's happening a lot faster. Whereas if you're always playing from behind, oh, I can only build now once, not twice. I can't take advantage of that strategy allocation token because I don't have enough of them. Right. It really factors in. Yeah. Right. Well, if you get behind, the only way you're catching up is if everybody else is falling behind. Right. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely. I think, too, with what Moby was alluding to, uh, the more players you have, it's force interaction. And so what I've found with the game is if you are one of the first people to have a battle, a significant battle, you will not win the game. Wow. Right. Because you have to expend so many resources because there's an ebb and flow of give and take. They come in, they annihilate your planet. You have to spend a lot to get it back. Yeah. That initial investment is stopping you from advancing. And typically I've found the person that stays away and is just building resources and buying time is the one that actually advances the game. Because what you got to understand too is with the secret objectives, they're only one victory point. But the shared objectives, when it gets to the two victory point ones, a lot of them are science-driven or expansion-driven. So if you're not advancing in the tech tree, which means you're spending resources, and if you're spending them on 
you know, ships and stuff that are just being destroyed. <laughs> Guilty. Yeah, then you're not getting tech tree advancements, which right. means you're not getting to those two-point Ah, that's interesting. I wonder if... I completely agree with what you're saying because I saw it in my first game that I played. Um, well, it's the first or the second. Which one had Joe? Because I'm going to be talking about Joe. That was this, our second that one. Was, that was the full six. That was the full six. Yeah, our second one with Joe. So what Joe did, and I believe it was you. Yeah, every, he trounced me. <laughs> he starts this, like, and he just pours his whole, like, Navy, um, Space Navy, into a huge border war with Leland. Yeah. But... He made a PDS wall that I just couldn't get out of. Oh, that's right. Of it. Yep. 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 For sure. So that was, and I mean, like, yeah, he did a good job of it, but he had no chance of really winning at all. But my point is, yeah, but he he also gave me even less of a chance of winning. That is too. that is my exact like point. he put his that boot is, heel. That on is my, my throat exact point. Is you control another player because you can drag yeah. them into this massive war, like he did with Joe did with Leland. And he screwed over your chance. Oh, yeah, yeah. The rest of the game. So, and I so think, last. I think like, that is a little bit of a tough part about the game. Yes. Yeah. Is you yes. have a long time investment. You know, you know, the average game is six, seven hours, I would say, in my yeah. experience. Yeah, yeah. Like, I think the game we played when we were done was two hours. <laughs> really fast. We were like, wow, that was quick, right? Yeah. We were almost thinking about playing another one because <laughs> it went so fast. That's typically not the case. And I think, you know, in a three player game, there's less interaction, so it's probably going to advance the game speed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you guys had, you know, you knew what you were doing. I think if you have a new player, it does slow down the game quite a bit. Right, right. So I would say, you know, if you're new to Twilight Imperium and you want to play it, play with a bunch of people that haven't played a lot. Yeah. Or maybe have one person that's not going to try and crush your soul, yeah. but is willing to, you know, kind of, <laughs> hey, here's the ins and outs right. of the Don't game. Don't play with Joe. Well, in our, um, I, yeah, no, Joe uh, did a, a really great job for his first time playing. Mm-hmm. Like, he, like, saw that strategy and like mm-hmm. knew that he it was a good one to employ so kudos on him that was the game in which since i was so yes. far behind near the end of the game um uh i forget what his name was but another new player, new player. i i had only just met him that game and he got decimated he had a huge fight that uh dan just walked in and, and killed him and he was yeah, so hilarious. down about that for like the last I don't know. We were actually pretty near the end of the game. It was maybe the last hour or two that he was just like, shit. Like, you could clear. He was, like, downtrodden. So, like, <laughs> I was like, okay, well, I'm in so last. I'm like, we were boring. I'm like, okay, here's, like, 50, let's trade. Here's 15 of my, like, trade goods or whatever. So, he could, like, he made, like, two war sons or whatever. So, he could, like, gallivant around fine. for the last, like, hour yeah. or whatever. Cool. And I think that saved the experience for him, which I was very happy about. But yeah, you're totally right, Randy. Like this game, yeah, you can definitely have a negative play experience depending on yeah. your play group. There is some ways to alleviate that, I think. Yeah. And one of the ones is is don't don't pull out of your home world too fast. So if you're gonna amount like a pretty big um, bunch of ships in one place, that's a mistake because then people are either gonna backdoor you and take out your home world, right? Or they'll just say, hey, let's see what we can do in Kamikaze yet, and puts you. <laughs> puts you pretty far behind. Right. So I try to spread it out a little bit and use pickets as an important thing because nobody's going to be able to get through your pickets. And what that means is I take one cruiser or one destroyer and I'll put it in just as a free space place. Um, and so they have to kill that. So I know what's coming when it's coming mm-hmm. and then I can kind of defend accordingly. Right. All right. Uh, the other thing too is find um, when you're picking your races at the beginning of the game, 
pick ones that start with two carriers. Yes. Or yeah, you did mention that. Yeah, get yeah. one carrier. After the game, I will say. But. Yeah. <laughs> get one with a carrier and then one with the Warfare. Take the Warfare token so you can move twice. Right, right, right. But you want to get quick expansion to get some resource generation. So then when they do come at you, you have enough invested in your ground forces, your mech units, and your PDSs that you can actually defend yourself. Right, right, so, right. I like, um, back to your, the picket point you're making, I like that um, the pickets make it so you are no longer reacting. You then become the reactant. Yeah. So if you are reacting in this game, you are behind. You yeah. need you want you need to be the one that is being reacted to. And I think those those pickets is a really great strategy. Just just takes that and flips it on your attacker, right? I also think there is natural policing. So if the three of us were playing, there's just this unwritten rule. That if you try to jump. Uh, Leland, uh, we're both going to come after you. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, if yeah. if you try to do something that the rest of the board doesn't like, don't let them get away with it. Penalize them for it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because then they go, oh, maybe the next time they play, they're not going to be so aggressive. Or they're going to realize that they, they just invested six hours of their time and they're just going to be eliminated. So was that oh, really nice. fun? Yeah. So I, I do think... And that's the non That can go too far. It, it can too, well, for right? sure. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And I think that's the beauty part of Twilight Imperium is yeah. the dip- diplomacy part of it where, you know, there's empty threats sometimes. Yeah. You're kind of making yeah. back backroom deals. No, what I find interesting with the, the lower count, the three-player game, is that uh, it made sequencing the uh, the the strategic, what are they, the tactical actions? Yep. Um, those eight, sequencing them was became... Way more important and also easier to gauge, which I think um, lends to it be, being more important because you have six players. Yeah, that's only it's the same amount of those actions that are happening, but that's five other players that you need to predict and when they're going to do them. Like uh, in our game, I had the construction on that that la- like that last ditch move I had on Mechatol was like a carrier and like a cruiser or something. I went in there. I should I was misplayed and i should have went in there before i played the construction thing. right because i and yeah. no other action for my turn impacted the sequencing or the effectiveness of that just oh i gave you that pds on mechatol and you had a nice shot with it and just took me out right away yeah. so i had even less of a chance than the slim margins i you know built for myself um super important and it's funny that one thing like that i mean it certainly would not stop you from winning by then you were just you were so far ahead um but it may have slowed down for Moby's assault to hinder you a little more, too. Yeah. yeah. I think, too, if you see somebody get ahead, uh, plan to go for their homeworld. Oh, yeah. Start getting things in place. Yeah, that makes sense. Because if you, if you get their homeworld, they can't gain victory points the same right, way. Right. So now they're investing in that, and you can catch up. If somebody gets three or four points ahead, it's really hard to catch up. That's the hard part about Twilight Imperium. So. Now, question for you on my strategy, or lack thereof. Um, every single time i played Twilight Imperium, I've had the same strategy, which is, and, and this has been conscious in my mind, which is tread softly and carry a big stick. So you saw that in me <laughs> having this epic fleet with like all my dreadnoughts and everything together. Do you think there would be something to be said for that strategy, but also using pickets? Like, do you think they can work? Or would you say like, hey, Moby, don't, don't carry this big fleet in the future this big fleet thing's not going to work and my answer to you would be moby it would work i don't want to say that there is a strategy that wouldn't work it you know okay. i think right. the important part about twilight imperium and games of that strategy 
like level right. is to be adaptable. So I don't think it's a good idea to go into a game of, of this length and this amount of strategy saying, this is what I'm going to do. And never, oh, okay. and never, very yeah. Yeah, never yeah. I don't think that's the way to do it. So yeah, that could very well work. But, you know, I think what was fortunate for me is while you're building that big fleet, I was getting victory points. <laughs> yes, that's And true. so that's great that you're getting a big fleet. You took out my planet, but, I, you know, not to be a dick in it, but I, you know, no, I, cool. right. I, no, I think that also cool. comes into. So had you, uh, if had you and I, Moby, been warring, and if I was ahead and maybe had been the target, because really, Randy, you were the target because you were ahead, right? Yeah. Um, that strategy would have been way more effective against me because I don't know how to handle it. I wasn't set up to handle it. Right. Didn't you and me fight a, a border war though? On I, um, I think we, I think we made war. a friendly exchange. Didn't we? We yeah. exchanged uh, yeah. sections. We made okay. an agreement to exchange we regions. Did do that. I don't think we ever actually fought. We went to fight. Yeah, okay, I threatened I you a little at the end because I wanted a thing that you had moved on, but it never happened. Okay. Well, actually, what happened? I I lost a bunch of that that when I lost those ships in that stupid warp gate because of that. Oh, that that sucks. That sucks because uh, that was like my primary assault force. Really, that was all the offense that I really had on the board and just. Wiped away by the stupid agenda card or whatever. A couple of strategies I can think of right off the top of my head, though, that are good even for players that maybe haven't played a lot of Twilight Imperium. There's a race called Federation of Soul. Yeah. Uh, the humans. Yeah. 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 And like they are them. actually a really solid, you know, they're a little above average, but they do great things. They protect your homeworlds because they add ground forces. So if you're playing with some experienced players and you haven't played a lot, play them. Or Hakan, who has good economy. So that'd be the first thing. The second thing is do not let somebody win and not go through some battles. Ah. Uh, so for instance, that game that we played with the three of us, the la- the only battle that I really had, you you yeah, attacked me, Moby. I did. Uh, but it was right at the end. Right. And I think in that game, you have to force you know the interaction if somebody's getting ahead. Right. Do not let somebody win who's not gone through a significant right. Yeah, it was it was an interesting feeling. I mean, you're right about farming points and steamrolling. I saw that happen. My idea, and it was somewhat successful, was to draw off your main forces in a gigantic set-piece battle, which is exactly what we had. Unfortunately, Leland only drives over his RV and fails <laughs> to take the planet. Yes, but again, that is because of I lost those ships for that warp. Yeah, that's what those ships were going to do. Was going to move into racks. That's right. That's right. Um, so I got seriously hindered by that. <laughs> the other failed strategy. The other good strategies that I can think of off the top of my head are when the tech trees come available. Yeah. Don't underestimate the blue techs because mm. uh, you get to a place where you can go through people's fleets. Right. And I think as soon as I had that, you're not really limited to space. You can just go through. Oh, they have a weak spot here because as you advance more to Mech Rex. Your behind-the-scene planets, the things that you leave behind, are going to be a lot weaker. Right. So that's a good tech tree to, to kind of follow. The other thing is red cards matter, which are your action cards. Yeah. So if you have an opportunity, you're thinking, hey, I'm going to put a PDS up with the construction strategy allocation token, or you can draw cards, draw cards. Mm. Oh, okay. Because the command counters and cards are yeah. the, the economy of the game, in my right. opinion. Oh, okay, That's and cool. they are such game-changing cards. Like they can completely flip around battles, you know, absorbing hits and stuff like that. And yeah, they're they're very powerful. So um, let's see. Okay, you have what are your favorite races to play, Randy? Yeah, I mean, a- again, you're always in the vein of being competitive. Yeah. So, okay. So what's 
what's the what's your favorite competitive race yeah um man that's tough because i i don't really follow uh board game geeks kind of rankings right because right, people right. in there have ranked them oh yeah for instance i really like the mentech they're the pirates so yeah. they have a sneak attack going into battle right um the nalu which has a lower rating that zero that you place so that's, that's that's it's really yeah, good yeah right and their fighters are strong with the upgrades so that's mm-hmm. been really good i like them hakan is just solid because it's money based and anytime you can get more money you get more units which means you can do more stuff mm-hmm. but my general strategy that i you know see, try to always pick is i like the races with two carriers right mm. so if you can get out of the gate and take an extra planet so your turn two maybe you've got four or five extra planets um that's going to put you a lot further ahead yeah 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 uh leland what's your favorite if you've got one um i don't really have one i mean again i've only i don't even remember what race i played in that second game i can't even remember i mean i was like clearly didn't i didn't even have a chance to utilize whatever racial power i had anyways i was really like boot heel uh but i like the idea of playing the arborek which was actually mm-hmm. i think the first one that was played, the first though. one i played yeah now what happened when we played with that one what we didn't realize was the advantages they have at um constructing units mm. um like their flagship or their ships or whatever come with the construction ability yes which you weren't yeah, utilizing because we, yeah. yeah. Well, and that's another thing. Like, again, I think the learning curve, it's pretty big with this game, even just in the individual races. Um, there are just on your little player sheet, which is, you know, laid out very nicely. It's great graphic, graphic design. The game looks gorgeous, of course. But, like, you know, you miss a keyword on one of those ships, and you're like, oh, man, I didn't, it changes the way you should be using that ship entirely, depending on your race, too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um. The race, actually, that is my favorite, even though I haven't actually had the chance to play them, is University of Solnar. Um, myself, I find just it difficult. For some reason, I find research difficult in that game. I understand it. I just find that it takes a lot of effort to research. And I like how they remove a prerequisite, which lets me jump. Because I always want to get my level 2 dreadnoughts, my level 2 cruisers, and all that fun stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Jolnar is really good, and I think online the Jolnar presence uh, for being the top, the, the best is mm. pretty high. A lot of the spreadsheets that you see or you know results in tournaments or people playing Jolnar is at the top. So mm. okay, the skipping a prerequisite is huge mm-hmm. in the game, especially in fourth edition. I like how they've cleaned up the tech tree. Yeah, um, it's pretty simple to see. Okay, I need two blues to get this third blue, um, and what Jolnar does is really good. Well, and it's like I mean. What's their big drawback, right? Like minus one to attack rolls. But when you look at that in the overall scope of the game, and I mean, when you're obviously improving ships, you're, the ships fire better anyways. So it's, yeah, I think it's a very low drawback for the power that they have. Yeah. So. And what I like about, the, what I really like about this game is just like the little puzzle um, that is fleet composition mm-hmm. and just the amount the varying amount of fleets you could just employ and use you know for specific situations uh you some they're going to be some better here as opposed to to there i just i don't know i think that's that's a really cool like little component of the game that really fits nicely into its overall overall picture and again that comes into managing those those uh command tokens too on your board as well right mm-hmm. and that's the big uh, command counters are huge yeah just huge the remember leader, that listener command counter the leadership strategy card 
Yeah, and you know, that's another thing with three players. Um, since you were abusing it, and Mo- it was basically up to Moby a lot of the time to stop you from abusing it. And I didn't even get a chance to react to you grabbing it just because of the... Cause what dictates that again? Who's choosing first? The speaker token. Right, the speaker token, right. Yeah. And I had two cards in hand that said, I'll keep whatever strategies I have. So even when I had leadership, if I didn't want to get rid of it, yeah, yeah, I could, could just do it. Keep yeah. it, yeah. This the key of this game when you drill it down. This is what I'm sensing from this conversation is really to do what you were talking about in the beginning. Create a situation where you're in a place of security, but you're reacting to what's going on the board. You know, it like no matter what, like you go to Rex and just make things so that you're reacting as they move in on you and you have time or you're reacting to someone else's other war. Don't just dive in and stir up the hornet's nest because that doesn't work well in this game overall. And I think, too, it's it's good strategy to try to be two steps ahead. So just to quickly go through, like even on your turn, when it's just before your turn, what are Leland and Moby going to do next? Like what's their goal? Okay, does that interrupt my goal? If it does, how can I disrupt what they're trying to do? Maybe mm-hmm. I create well, a distraction over also here. Also furthering your own. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the balance too. Like, yeah, okay, I could go full hog and trying to stop you, but it's not doing anything for my game. Yeah. If anything, it's elevating Moby's and that's it. Yeah. And there's been many games in Twilight Imperium where I never got into a battle once in one. Wow, okay. You can turtle really actually the turtles turtle <laughs> yeah, yeah. really well. Um, <laughs> the turtle's a turtle. But yeah, it's it's possible. So that's cool. That's cool. Cool. Uh, okay, our last point here is uh, suggestions for maybe improving for a fifth edition. Is there something you don't like about this movie? Let's start with you. Is there something you did not you do not like about this game? Yeah, I don't. I don't like how combat seems punitive overall, and maybe that's a Twilight Imperium thing, not just for Twilight Four. Like this has been a, a theme all along. Um, I feel like. I want to have my big space battles and it should be less punitive for me to do it somehow. Whether there's, they introduce certain cards that let you, um, like an action card that lets you build double or, you know, build two cruisers for one that lets you rebuild quickly when you're down. Because I feel like when you, it takes so long to build that fleet and if I lose a big battle, I'm hooped for the rest of the game because it takes so long to rebuild by the time I have that battle. It's like one and done. Yeah, I think I think that uh, is a misleading factor of this game. This is certainly not. Uh, it's. I don't think the game is built to be that type of play. Yes, yeah. it looks like it. It if certainly you're not does. Familiar it certainly with the game, does. and you yeah. see the box, and you see it yeah. set up. You yeah. know, these big. I stations. totally agree. I think it's a very much economy based game with a military element. Yes, but it's ah, not yeah, yeah. element. That's interesting, and of course, it looks like it's the other way around. Yeah. Because it's space. it's a dude's on the map. It's you know you look at it you're like oh it's a dude's on a map game. <laughs> yeah, right. I and I agree with Moby. Uh, that's one of the frustrations I have with the game. My philosophy, if I have a strategy going into a game, is don't be the first person to get in a battle, mm-hmm. and don't be the last person to get in a battle. Sure. So you avoid know, combat yeah, in this epic like in space middle, in this four X game. Yeah, avoid it, one of the X's. Well, let's yeah. avoid extermination. But, but in that contrast, <laughs> that contrast with my personal favorite board game, which is Axis and Allies. You can pick any of them, but Axis and Allies Global 1940, where you are going, and especially yeah. when you're the Axis powers, who are my favorite. You, it's 
you go hammering right. from turn one. Now that that is a perfect example of the flip side. That is a, a military game with an economic component. Absolutely. Yeah, that's a that's a good um, a good good flip there. That's a and good. I, I know for me, my personal experience with Maxis and Allies, I prefer Twilight Imperium only because I feel if the if the Axis doesn't take Moscow pretty quick and get behind the red wall, it, the game is just over. <laughs> like there has been many times when we've played, we'll play an hour and a half, and within an hour and a half, if they haven't got to Moscow, Germany, yeah, we're, there's just no point. We're just like, yeah, oh, we don't really want to play. So that element to it, I like the mechanics and the the economy based of Twilight Imperium. Right. Well, one, I, sorry, one way where we actually kind of solve that a little bit is we have a house rule now when we play. Um, that the home worlds are worth two victory points, and Ooh, so there's modifications you can make. Uh, a bunch of players have tried to try different things out. Yeah, and what it does is people now try to actually aim for your home world. So you have to be a bit less. You have to be more cognizant yeah, about. Yeah, you have to kind of build your forces. throwing your perimeter out there. A single weakness yeah. in that perimeter is going to real hurt. Yeah, and then I think that puts even more emphasis on that blue tech chain too. Oh man, yeah. So because someone just ripping through that, you know, yeah. assault perimeter that you're setting up, yeah, all those pickets that you're employing, yeah, for sure, for sure. You know what house rule I have thought of implementing in Twilight Imperium Four, if I had ever had the chance, would be I would make some sort of cardboard token. Each turn, every player would receive one token at the the beginning of the round, and what this token allows is a free buy of a ship. Now maybe one token is only worth. Um, like maybe a pair of fighters or a fighter, but two tokens you would get a destroyer or a, a carrier. Or I would I don't have the economy made up. Three tokens, so if you stored up three turns, you could then get a cruiser and like four would be a dreadnought. And so what this would allow, and it would be a free buy each turn. So what this would allow is this kind of residual building up of the navy that's disconnected from the rest of the game. Okay, that's interesting. Um... Okay, so generally the game's going to last like like six to eight turns. So yeah, depending on the economy of those tokens, you really think it's that would impact? You could accelerate. You're be getting you, you, could simply, yeah. you, could, you could just go for it. Well, like, of course you could, but that's you could, you that could, seems ridiculous. You me. could change the economy, though, by either giving two tokens or just making it so like a Dreadnought's three instead of four. I realize that, but I think <laughs> then I think you're turning this game into a military game. Sure, <laughs> and now it's shadowing the economy, which is not Twilight Imperium. Yeah, I, I'm fully admitting that I'd be you tipping want, it more yeah, towards you just the want, Axis. You just want allies, space yeah. access and allies is what you want. We've also Kinda, had yeah. um, <laughs> you get victory points. We've tried a number of different things. One of the things we tried was you get victory points for a certain amount of ships you destroy. Interesting. So if you destroy three ships, you get a victory point. If you right. destroy a fire... Uh, 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 War Sun, you get two victory points, things like that. So now are those awarded at the end? Immediately. When some, oh, immediately, okay. Ooh. Yeah. So I think that would be interesting if someone, if they're awarded at the end after someone hits 10 or whatever you're playing to, and then you're like, oh, well, guess what? Yeah, I no. was at nine, but hey, I killed three That'd more ships than you. That's, okay, that's cool. And the thing about the third edition that we always prepared for was by about turn four or five, you would have this, somebody would Play, almost play Jin. I mean, in one turn, they'd get four or five victory points, and they cross. Oh, uh, yeah. They're at four, and then they go to ten. Yeah. And I think fourth edition has done a good job of balancing that. Yeah. So you can kind of see what's in front of you a little bit. Okay. Um, but I do like the fact in third edition there was a bit more surprise factor. Yeah. And so that would be my critique with, with the fourth edition is I kind of like that you can't account for everything. Yeah. And I think right now 
you can. Like I now, I think I've got the secret objectives memorized. So, because I played it so much, <laughs> sure, right? Sure, sure. So it's going to be one of four things. Okay, if they're headed that direction, chances are. Or if people right. say, "Oh man, I can't achieve that," well, that typically means you need to put a space dock of some sort of Mechatol Rex. So, right. All right. Mm-hmm. And, that. and then become it then boils down to poker faces yeah. and reading your opponents as if you're yeah. playing ahead of. And I, I guess that's good too, but I suppose yeah. that adds a weird, unpredictable element. Um, or, you know, unintentional element, sure. But I think that, that you know, that's not inherent to Twilight Imperium. Right. That comes with every, any other type of game where you've yeah. played it a million times. Yeah, I think uh, my negatives are probably also with the combat, I guess. Um, I don't know. Combat always just seems so, like, fatalistic, uh, just even thinking about it. Like, and I think it's... The way so the way the the rolls are are balanced, you know, the hits like you got like a a twenty percent chance to hit on any given ship, and the base ones basically, um, like it, those numbers uh, influence you in building and in making those giant space wars because you need you need to better your odds. You want more ships, more dice, better odds, right? So yeah, I think that's a it's that weird juxtaposition is kind of counterintuitive almost the way. To you know, to the ideal way of playing the game, I think, which is right. interesting. Right. Cool. Yeah, well, that like was a really good discussion. I enjoyed that. That was exactly what I hoped that was it would good. Be that was good. So I have let's you know do our. It's, it wasn't really a review, but we rank board games that we yes. talk about. Um, let me actually just pull that up. Hold on. Yeah, what's the list here? I forget. I know it's small at this point, but yeah, it is pretty pretty minute. Well, I'll cut out dead air. (laughs) I actually should have pulled this up first, but I forgot about it. All right. BG review rankings on ttpodcast.com. All right. Let's see. For you, Moby, I mean, we've only got three other games that we're really slotting them into. But so, Randy, what we do is instead of giving... um, the games that the board games that we review a number like some on a ten, we actually just kind of rank them against each other. So you've gotten this list of so currently Moby uh, starting at the top and working down. Your rankings go Transatlantic, Kemet, and This War of Mine. Mm-hmm. Mine um, are the exact same actually. <laughs> Have you played any of those games, Randy? Say them again. Transatlantic. Haven't played it. Uh, Kemet. Have played that. Yeah. And This War of Mine. Have played that. Yeah. Okay. How would you rank those two again? Um, I think I like Kemet a little bit better. Oh, with this war mine, yeah. yeah. Okay, Moe, where would you put this in? This is really difficult for me to put this in any type of list because this game is like an, a bit of an anomaly, I think. You know what? This is actually a really easy decision for me. Twilight Imperium 4 is at the top. Really? Oh, yeah. Wow. Because even though I suck at it, the amount of fun, and that's something okay. I haven't brought up. The amount of pure enjoyment I get from those space battles and from essentially me feeling it's a little bit like civilization okay. game in space. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fun factor just blows away the other three games. Okay, well, for me, this uh, I'll slot this right under Transatlantic. I really like Transatlantic. Yeah, wow. Really Transatlantic, Randy, is uh, a game by Mac Gertz um, of Concordia fame. And it's basically, it's, it's an economic game, but it's like a shipping. You're shipping and you're deploying... Um, boats into specific oceans and transporting and basically it, it is strictly an economy engine and I really there's something about that game I really really love 
Okay. That's actually a game I, that I can win pretty pretty handily. Well, so maybe yes. that might influence something. It, you know, and I really enjoy that game. It's one of our favorites of our group. But um, Twilight Imperium Four does does take the cake. Yeah, so, okay, I can I, see that. I can't put anything even close to Twilight Imperium. It's just <laughs> Chaos of the Old World is the only game I've ever played board game wise yeah. that I would compare it to. Wow. So okay, excellent. That's I like All it. Right. Good job. Transatlantic. Oh. I'm writing it down. Transatlantic. Yeah. I would all. Yeah, it's good to hear play. from him because I call it Transatlantica, and I'm okay. very hard to me. I might play it that. a little bit less. So. Hearing it from you. So. <laughs> oh, Moby. Oh, Moby. <laughs> yeah. Right, next. Okay. That's good. It's time for movie musings. This segment called Star Wars. Um, we're talking Star Wars again. It's very listening. clever. I know. <laughs> but. It's a, you know, we are talking Star Wars again. We talk Star Wars all the bloody yeah, time. Yeah, but you know what? Stuff has happened. Shit has gone down okay. since yeah, we last talked true. about it. Basically... Oh, before I forget, sorry to interrupt you, but uh, I believe you technically owe me a pizza for the Boba Fett movie. No, wait. Do I owe you? Okay, the Boba Fett movie canceled now, right? Right. Technically didn't get a rating. So I said that it would... Not get no. What did I say? It would not get an R rating. You thought it would benefit okay, from that, right? This is the most. I will not <laughs> wow, hold you to wow. that. I will not hold. No, no, no. You. I'm saying you owe me because it did not get an R rating. Oh, damn. <laughs> we'll figure out the next. Oh yeah, the, the R rating. That's right. Yeah. We'll figure out the next time they want an R-rated Star Wars. You need to we'll put that, that stipulation in the bet. You gotta obviously. say, oh, in event of cancellation, yes. bet is no. It reminds me of like when we used to play Pogs. You had to say all those rules like no slammers, no freebies, whatever, <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. before you actually did the Pog awesome. match. Sure. Um, but yeah, so the Star Wars franchise is having some tribulations right now. Uh, they have basically put on hold or canceled all the standalone films. Um, for the time being, Boba Fett completely canceled. Obi-Wan, which was the obvious one, on pause. And Solo, which is actually my favorite of all of the new Star Wars films. Oh, is, I haven't seen it yet, so... You haven't seen it? No okay. comment. <laughs> it's, uh, it underperformed massively. So you're, you that, violently shook your head yeah, at I the favoritism. I can't stand Solo. Just can't oh, stand, stand so interesting. Can't I gotta, stand. Since I'm buying it and basically building a shrine for it, I'll bring it over and we'll watch <laughs> okay, it. Okay, great. Well, I mean, as of late, that shrine is some vacant vacancy there for <laughs> Star Wars movies up. <laughs> yeah. Um, so we just want to talk about it. Uh, just kind of the, the Disney films um, specifically kind of and their TV series and just what, what the heck is going on with Star Wars. Um, Randy, do you have any general thoughts uh maybe let's start with the core series where we've got episode seven episode eight how do you feel that's gone so far okay uh, man this is whew, this is tough so i have a really hard time with the with the trilogy uh seven and eight, seven and eight. uh i had a really hard time with the force awakens simply because i thought i was watching a rebooted New Hope. Yeah, yeah. Which is yeah. what you and were. So, <laughs> Absolutely. And I want... Yeah, yeah. What I actually liked about The Last Jedi is that Johnson took some risks uh, and that's what I wanted. You know, I yeah. want some... Well, that's, that's what the larger fan base was begging for. Yeah. And then they revolt when they... But I it. thought some of the risks were... Woo, man. Yeah, like, yeah, yeah. like Mary Poppins, come on now. It, it, <laughs> it almost ruined the movie for me just because... Wow. Mary Poppins. But... Thanks. Uh, the relationship between um, Ray and Kylo, I think, is just magic on screen. I wish we just had a movie of just them. 
uh, maybe with some supporting characters. But whenever they are on the screen, I thought this is a great movie. Uh, the throne room alone in the Last Jedi was phenomenal. So okay. I had I had some hard time with with Luke. Mm-hmm. I think how he was written was a bit tough to grasp, but only. You know, in growing up with Star Wars, and even now, to put in some context of how much I love Star Wars, I'm a huge sports fan, and when, you know, sports are playing live, that's what I'll typically turn to when I'm watching TV, but on Showcase, from time to time, they've had Star Wars marathons, that's with commercials, and yet I'll still watch the Star Wars commercial-based movies instead of live sports, which shows me where my heart really is. Okay, interesting. I would like to watch the old-school Star Wars movies, but in saying that... um, yeah, I think I've, there's been some disappointment. Uh, and just knowing Luke as my childhood hero and seeing uh, him... Seeing what he's turned into. Not now. Yeah. Like, I try to respect it, but at the same time, I've had a hard time with it. So Right, right. Well, I, I think a lot of the problem um, with Last Jedi is there's just so much that happened off screen. And you are... I think the suspension of disbelief is just too great, I think. Personally, anyways, and this is coming from, I don't give a lot of fuck about Star Wars. was, you know, not into it as a kid. Um, you know, I've seen the original trilogy and the prequels and, you know, I've seen them, but I could take it or leave it. So I like to think that I am unbiased, but I don't know. I really liked Force Awakens, though, despite it, yes, being the rebootiest non-reboot I've ever watched in my life. Um, but Last Jedi was garbage. Rogue One sucked. Um, I have a problem with the Force in general. Uh, in these late, latest iterations, it just really irks me. And I have ranted a lot about that on this podcast, so I will not get into it <laughs> unless provoked. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know, Moe. How about you, Moe? Yeah, I actually really enjoyed The Force Awakens, despite it being this kind of reboot, because um, I don't want to use the M word again, but I have to. From a marketing perspective, I think they needed a psychological soft reboot after the prequels. And I think, um, you know, the opening line about, I forget it exactly, but where the old guy says this will begin to make things right. I think that was a purposeful line. They wanted to bring back that feeling of the original Star Wars. And what I will give J.J. Abrams as far as feeling like Star Wars and shooting a film like Star Wars, he actually has that nailed in my opinion. I did not like how few risks were taken. Okay, how much merit can you give jj when he's directly copying 40 year old scenes and just recreating them though i don't honestly thank you yes directly copying directly (laughs) copying 40 year old a lot of that a lot of force awakens like you're deja vu man i i don't think i totally agree copying no but that's this this is not a matter of opinion either he copied scenes or he didn't well and this is the thing that i copied i think happens is there's so much tension with Disney and this portion of Disney with Star Wars that people are afraid to go out and kind of be creative because mm. there's been so much animosity, so much turnover, so much you need to do this again. And I don't know who, like if it's Kathleen Kennedy or if it's George Lucas. Oh, a or, lot of people like to blame Kennedy for sure. Like whoever it is who's just, you know, it feels like people are held at gunpoint saying it needs to be a certain way. Yes. Like even... The new thing, because um, I thought it was Thorne that was doing the writing for the new movie and got canned. He was the writer from Harry Potter and the Cursed Child ah. um, and now isn't. And so J.J.'s back in. Yeah, and, yeah. and why? It's because J.J. plays it safe. They know what right. they're going to get with J.J. Yeah. yeah, that is true. And so that's where I have a, a hard time. For instance, 
from what okay, I Okay, well then, sorry, to, to yeah. jump in there then. Yeah. Okay. Uh, about the chances that you admitted, admits that Johnson, Ryan Johnson took, then how the hell did he slip those in? Is he like, he's shacking up with Kennedy or what the hell's going on here? Like, well, he's got some secret in, he's got some leverage, he's got some dirt <laughs> on her. Like, what the hell's going on then? Like, That's a great point. I, I do think, too, there was already Will's emotion that he was going to get his own series. Yeah, and from yeah. what I understand, he's getting a trilogy of his yeah, own. That is yeah. true. I looked that up. To do whatever the hell he wants yes. somewhere else in this. And universe. so I, I do think that. There's a long-term investment. Who's in going to see that though? Is he, is that really going to come to fruition with the ter- the turmoil of Last Jedi? Yeah, I've wondered the same. I wondered the same when I was preparing for this. Um, I think to answer your question, I think that the leaps that Ryan Johnson wanted to take made sense to Kennedy. That she was like, "Oh, I like that story. I like where you're going with this," and that's why she snuck it through. One of the interesting things about Star Wars, what they've been doing with the new films is they're picking these kind of younger, riskier directors, but then they're trying to shoehorn them to make a very conservative movie. Right. It's very uh, Jekyll and Hyde. They're making, you know, what what the the draw they're seeing from these, you know, these relatively inexperienced directors and what makes them unique, that is, draw. hey, let's hire this guy, they are then whitewashing it and they're sure. making it vanilla, exactly. right? They're boiling it down. Exactly. And that's a big issue. That is an issue, yeah. that I That I'm having. Um, now I'm a huge Star Wars fan. Last Jedi, like I'm ne- I've never been a militant enough fan to be like, oh, it, you know, it ruins everything for me. I enjoyed the prequels, all three. I don't think they're fantastic, but I enjoyed them. Last Jedi had some serious issues with just the entire plot of that movie. <laughs> I mean, there it was as simple as there. Like, one of the major issues I had was just a window blowing up, and Ad- Admiral Akbar, one of my favorite supporting characters, just getting sucked out a window, and that's the last thing you ever hear about. Yeah, you don't even I mean, hear that was that. that was the most traumatizing part of the entire movie for me. It wasn't anything Luke. It wasn't Leia. Um, you know, the fact that Leia gets blown out into space, doesn't die. I mean, space, you either get cooked or frozen very quickly, and she's, like, floating there forever and then slowly sucks herself back in. That is, yeah, that is not good. Um, I, well, and the, the gas plot. We're running out of gas. Yeah. Like, I just had a hard time with yeah. that, you know? Running it's just, out of fuel. Yeah. And the whole second act, the whole act on that casino planet. Was okay, okay. We useless. we have reviewed the last chapter yes. before on this podcast. Okay. Let's not divulge into another re- right. retread. I mean, so yes, it's relevant. Yes, but where I think they're going with it is, is they're playing it safe. Yeah. And I think... It's an opportunity to not do that, and I think they're just going. They're conforming to that conservative thought process of we got to keep it safe, yeah, and not divert. Because if you look, Force Awakens, which was really conservative, made a lot of money, created a lot of hype with people that maybe didn't grow up with Star Wars. Yep. Last Jedi was very polarizing. So what do they do here? They probably go back to the thing that made <laughs> them a lot of money. Exactly. But exactly. you know what? You know what I think? It's I th- honestly think it's a very simple solution. You get away from the Skywalker story. It's them. It's their story that people are emotionally clinging to. So you wrap up this final trilogy and you don't touch the Skywalkers for 20 years. You do all these other stories with all these new characters that just happen to be in this cool universe. And I do think there is some intentionality about Rey not being connected to the Skywalker line. I love that. Because then it does set her up to kind of... She could be a recurring character in a future trilogy, but not have any connection to the Skywalker line. Yes, yeah. I loved that. Actually, that you know, decision. I would really like it if Ray became like, uh, like, uh, like a, a Ahsoka. 
like that kind of character, like to come like the gray Jedi. I really love the idea of like the gray gray Jedi's. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's just yeah. I, I definitely agree getting away from the Skywalker's, but you're still talking about steps that we need to go through a whole other movie to be able be to be to get to first, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah. In fact, that's. What I think they're just planning to do at this point is, you know, like we said, they bring J.J. back because he's safe. They've got to wrap it up because it's a trilogy and they said it's a trilogy. You do episode nine, everyone goes into the sunset and then you you forget about it. It's almost like they're obligated to do episode nine. The wheels have been put yeah. into motion. Well, and here's the hard part, too, is there's a lot of uh, fan talk of spoilers where um, there's pictures of another Death Star no way yeah. I haven't heard of this and no. so and I know in the canon there was I forget what they called it it started with an S but they're the death um, something where they were actually part of the storyline there was like a cool looking Death Star type thing which I think they were trying to build in The Force Awakens don't don't quote me exactly on that take it with a grain of salt but from what I've heard and when I was researching for this there there is some boards that were showing those types of things so I have a feeling we're going to get <laughs> a Return of the Jedi, maybe without some Ewoks. So, <laughs> have you heard the Matt Smith rumor about who he's supposed to play? No. It's just a rumor. I haven't heard this. Yeah, they, they think he's a reincarnated Emperor Palpatine, which is part of the books. Interesting. Well, you know, oh, like special. after Force Awakens, everyone's like, "Oh, maybe Ray, maybe Palpatine's like Ray's grandfather," and like, and then which is then continuing the Palpatine versus Skywalker thing. You know, that was like part of the whole whole uh fan fiction you know theory stuff back in the day but. where i have a hard time and i actually disagree with you a little bit moby is go ahead i want more skywalkers like i want darth vader the movie if oh. not darth vader the trilogy yes like okay. bring on him just destroying everything i would i would be tuned in. oh that. man that that 45 seconds in rogue one was the only good part of the movie <laughs> yeah it really wasn't that great of a movie i watched that scene over and over and over i just youtube it i didn't even watch rogue one that is uh, <laughs> awesome. that is often when I'm drinking. I just drink and I watch this scene for like I, I right click and I put it on loop. On but yet YouTube. yet one of the worst parts of the movie was a Darth Vader scene where he did the one liner about oh, Don't yeah. choke on your aspirations. Yeah. That is, Leland. You, oh uh, my goodness. It was so Please. cheesy. Please. And um Yeah, I just I feel like either James Earl Jones was so old that he was starting to lose it or he was misdirected. He just, I mean, he was Vader, but he also wasn't at the same time. It kind of sounded weird. But well, I mean, Luke was Luke, but he wasn't. Yeah, that's a good yeah. point. Right? It's yeah. all it is. He's got a mask on. I don't care who plays him, to be honest with you. Just give me more third. Actually, years, apparently but. it was really hard to get the actor that played him in the suit to do yeah, his mannerisms and look like Vader because he has a certain gait and stuff. But okay. I thought they nailed it. Like, you totally buy him in that final scene. But anyways, um, one thing I want to bring up, I mean, well, so in contrast, you look at Dave Filoni's animated series, plural, that he's been doing for like over 10 years. That guy just consistently nails it. And that's Rebels, right? Well, Rebels, now he's doing Resistance. Now he's like the overall guy to see all the animation. He got promoted. That's cool. And he's doing the next... Clone Wars, he did... Um, is, he's got another project coming up. He's got, well, I wrote it down. He's got a few. So there's Forces of Destiny, which is on now. It just started. But there's a new series called The Resistance. And again, he's overseeing both creative director, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so what's the plot behind that? Um, I didn't actually look that up. I just know they're working. And because Dave Filoni does it, 
it's going to be popular in gold because yeah, everything yeah, yeah. he touches with those animated series is gold. Well, yeah. but I thought too, I was reading that he's actually now in the next live action show on the Disney Channel. Um, Dave Filoni's in the You're like paying a fan like, service. Like or? he's like a character, like he's an actor. No, he is a executive producer. Possibly ah. for the Mandalorian. Did, okay, yeah, and that brings up a good point. There's actually three three live action series um, being developed right what? now. Two two I knew about. One was brand new, but is kind of cool. So the Mandalorian is the one that's the furthest ahead. It's almost like a quasi Boba Fett kind of movie because okay. Boba Fett wears Mandalorian armor, so yeah, yeah. they're There's kind of the a time, warrior yeah. Teutonic knight sort of thing. So that TV show's on the go. Then David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, the Game of, Game Thrones, of Thrones guys, yeah. they're getting their own series. That one I will have a bet with you on whether or not that's going to be a rated R series or not for pizza. If you want to <laughs> sure. Apparently their budget is pretty high too. Yeah, yeah I heard that too. So are these all getting lined up for when Disney launches their streaming service? Yes. Yes. Okay. yes. Yeah. Now the third that's one. Smart. Just, just take my money. Just, just take it. <laughs> The third one is actually a spy thriller series. You guys may or may not like the idea of it. Um, Andor. Yeah, Cassie and Andor. So the main character from Rogue One, that yeah. actor is reprising his role in that series. Interesting. Hmm. Which uh, one of my criticisms to Rogue One was I none of the characters were memorable. Right. I mean, at the end of the movie, yeah. I kind they of had flesh to, out. They had no yeah. arcs. I yeah. didn't. I had to look up their names again because I had forgot them. <laughs> I forget but, which one he was. Now that said, there's. I think within a live series, there's roles for redemption for him. Yeah, you for make sure. it like the man on High Castle. Um, I might have got that name wrong, but the for Amazon, I like that series. You make it something like that, pretty serious. I think that would that has potential. I know a, a scary part for me. So how I watch television, how I watch movies, is I connect with the character. And I want to see that character, you know, what his journey is throughout. And the fact that I know Andor's finale, like how he dies, right. is a hard one to get behind. So I'm not too sure if I'll, oh man, I really like this. Oh yeah, he's going to gonna blow up. It's going to be awesome. Well, there's right, no... on, the character is on a clock. Yeah. And that was the penultimate or the ultimate fatality of Last Jedi. The entire movie was on a clock. Yeah. Dumbest pres- uh, premise you write yourself into a corner, Ryan Johnson. You idiot. Dumb. <laughs> I yep. I so yeah, that's that, that's bad. That's that's bad. That's not good for characters. It's not good. It's not good for setting. That's not good for anything. Yeah, I uh, I've I've got no clue where they go with the standalone films, though. No clue because the Obi One is the one that I thought was the most obvious that they should continue going with. Yeah, but now even that one's on pause. And I don't know what they're going to do. Any, th- any thoughts? Do you- well, honestly, I'd want more Palpatine. Mm-hmm. Um, because, like, talk- I mean, in the original trilogy, like, the Emperor is not fleshed out as a character at all, really, right? He's just the, the big bad at the end of the dungeon. Um, and, yeah, he got some play in the... I guess he was in the... Pre- a lot of it was... In oh, the he was film. a major player. Yeah, 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 that's true. But the prequel, unlike Moby... I thought the prequels were pretty rough. So. <laughs> I don't know. If we could just kind of put those, you know, in a vault somewhere. Yeah. Create some new stuff. That would be awesome. But well, How about uh, how about some uh, Mace Windu? Get some purple lights. Yeah, that'd be cool. But he's just Samuel Jackson is too old. See, one, yeah, of, the, one of the issues so is. recast. And we got a young. Do you, do you think a part Windu. of it, though, is Disney just doesn't want to have dark movies? 
I, I don't know what it is, but well, yeah, that's, yeah, and that's definitely know. a hurdle that they need to get over. If they could, if they could be taking some of the their, I mean, the dark side for guys. Oh, it's the dark side I, for people. I read like for years the, the um they had to battle for PG thirteen parts of the Caribbean, the original yeah. one. Those guys because Disney didn't want PG thirteen at the time. They need to because the interesting characters are the ones with the moral dilemmas. They need those. To the forefront, I think they need. We, I want to see those. I want to see that stuff. Even if, even if, you know, I want to see limbs getting cut off with a lightsaber. I want to see, <laughs> like, I want to see people like blast rolls in them. I, I don't know. I just want to see like stuff. Darth Maul gets cut in half and then comes back. Yeah, they just give him some legs. robot legs. But, <laughs> uh, yeah, they need. They, I think that is a hurdle that yeah. that Disney as a whole, and not just in the Star Wars IP across the board. I think. Um, yeah, something needs to be done. They need they need some transition. I mean, there's it's going to come to a point where their audience becomes so alienated that they've lost it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I I do think with the standalones and not to, I won't spoil it, Leland, because you haven't seen it, but there is an appearance of somebody at the end of Solo, mm-hmm. and it does work into what the canon was, and so I do think that's maybe potentially where they're going is to create something out of that. And whether that's, you know, there's been a lot of speculation about new trilogies that are off that storyline, that maybe that's part of the storyline is that cameo. That that would be cool. Um, What else I think is cool is a good move is um, when for Star Wars Rebels, they brought in Thrawn because that was a big move because in the beginning when Disney bought Star Wars, they basically made a very firm cut and said... There's going to be all our stuff, and then there's all the stuff that came before, and all that's going to be canon is Clone Wars and the other films that have come out previously. Everything else is just this kind of fun analogy bullshit that's out on the side. But Dave Filoni pushed to bring in Thrawn, who's one of the most popular characters, even though he's never been in a Star Wars film, and he successfully brought that in. So that shows that uh, Disney is allowing non-canon to be brought back into canon. And I think there's a lot there in the extended universe that they could do. Hmm. So yeah, there's a whack load of it. I um, would. I want to see a live action Thrawn. Um, I was hoping Benicio Tell Toro was going to be that. And in, uh, in no, Last we got Jedi, stupid we, DJ. We got DJ. <laughs> useless so. character, almost as useless as Rose. Yeah, yeah. We could just tear. I don't know why people like Rose. Honestly, she was, who does like Rose. I have lots of people like. I guess critics because I don't get her character was just had no point. Like she's there, she's like, I've already ranted about this. (laughs) (laughs) I've already ranted about this, but like she's making a point about like child slavery, and she's trying to make it to the stormtrooper that ah just drives me nuts. It makes no sense. Yeah, (laughs) Uh, I don't even want to touch it because it just gets me so mad. Just just burn that movie. Just man. Um, really, guys, I mean, that was pretty short work, but we kind of touched on everything that I was hoping to touch on, so I'll open the floor to you guys. I did want to say with The Mandalorian, having Jon Favreau part of it, what he did with Jungle Book, Mm. um, which was one of my surprise films in the last three years, Mm. I thought it was actually absolutely amazing. So to know that he's a part of that TV series, I think, kind of elevates it a little bit, in my opinion. That's good. Yeah, yeah, it's nice having a name like that attached to it, too, right? So what happens if uh, it's garbage? What if it's just a dumpster fire? And then does that taint your image of John? Um, probably not. It probably taints my image of Star Wars more, but not of John. Uh, <laughs> yeah. 
Like, I could yeah. take John just for what he does with the Iron Man movies. Yeah. I yeah. think his character is absolutely amazing. So. Right, yeah. <laughs> He's good. Yeah. He's good. Well, uh, I, I, didn't have, I don't have anything else to add. I mean, I only really see the Star Wars if we go to see them, so... Well, oh, you're wow. going to see a new one because I'm going to bring over Solo in the next Yeah, I'll, I'm interested watch in watching it, Solo so. for sure, for sure. Um, yeah, the segment always was going to be, this was going to give glory to Crazy About Cardboard, this podcast. So yeah, that's true. It was that's never true. all about Star Wars. But um, yeah, I guess time to wrap things okay, up. Okay, end of the show stuff. Um, if you like what we're doing, our website is ttpopcast.com. Uh, we're on Instagram outdated youtube channel we're on soundcloud yeah, itunes stitcher i'm on twitter so you can just search for leland steel um i'm almost at 500 followers i think Ooh. most of them bots but hey bots 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 i'll take the bots <laughs> we russian bots we, we want you for election <laughs> <laughs> oh man maybe i was targeted by russia that's right i am a influential well, podcasting Putin loves 67. You know, he's a friend of mine that I met through your Twitter. Ah, so. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Putin loves 67. <laughs> oh, boy. Oh, boy. Well, I've, I've been Leland Steele. I've been Moby. I've been Randy. Take care, listener. Thanks, listener. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.